I'm Heather Campbell, and this is You Are Made For More, conversations about strength training, nutrition, and transformation. Hello, and welcome to episode six of You Are Made For More. I am joined today by Taya Humphreys, Taya is here to talk with us about a topic I'm very passionate about and a continuation of an earlier episode, and it's about making strength training accessible for all. Taya is going to talk with us about disability and fitness specifically and share not only her own personal fitness journey, but her journey to becoming a certified personal trainer. Hi, Taya. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great to see you again. Taya is uh, a good friend who I originally met through Instagram and then had the absolute pleasure of meeting her in person when I was visiting the UK. And if you are ever in London, you need to get in touch with Taya because she is the best tour guide you will ever have <laughs> in um, basically seeing all of London and all the cool spots and great eateries. And we had so much fun. Uh, so Taya, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So one fun thing that everyone should know about Taya is that she is an Italian speaker and she lived in Italy for about three years and loves the culture there. And so Taya, why, why Italy? Why, why Italian? Uh, good question. I get asked that quite a bit. I uh, ended up studying it at university. I changed degree and it ended up being part of my degree and again I don't even know why I just decided I wanted to learn Italian and that became the way of doing it and then from there I just got more interested in Italy and yeah it just became my love and um yeah just love it a lot so it's uh yeah everyone's asked since the beginning why Italy why Italian and just it's a gut instinct just had to go <laughs> Well, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you made a bad choice. <laughs> no, <but> that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And hopefully when I am in Italy sometime soon, um, to do that trek, uh, the St. Francis Azizi trail, uh, perhaps we will meet up and you can, uh, help <laughs> navigate love because you speak Italian. <laughs> I'd love to. Always happy to be a translator at any trip to Italy required. <laughs> Wonderful. Taya, we are here today to talk about accessibility for everyone in the fitness industry and specifically disability and fitness. Yep. Would you share um, with us 
a bit about your story and and how 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 we've gotten here today yeah of course so um i um i so i have cerebral palsy so it's a disability that affects the right side of my body and um growing up i wasn't really into sport or exercise i wasn't particularly encouraged to be into sport or exercise um and yeah just felt very excluded from that that whole life and just didn't think it was ever going to be for me and then later in life in my 20s i um found some really great classes that i got more into some zumba and some fun fun things and it ignited this sort of love of exercise and and realizing that i i really loved it and then um and then yeah then i found a good gym the nice community and that they really supported me through my own training and and then eventually training also into become a personal trainer i was very much encouraged uh to to do that and here we are and now yeah (laughs) and you love to box and you love strength training why why those two sports um yes so boxing was one of the classes i tried years ago um and it was so difficult for me um uh because uh, yeah one of the key parts of my disability is that i have very limited strength on my right side so to be to, to be in a sport that you have to use your whole body you know my left can't do all the work i am going to have to punch with the right <laughs> it's going to have to work both both sides was so challenging i think the end of the first class i couldn't lift my right arm by halfway even not even the end i was shaking and it just it was so intense but i loved the feeling of feeling that power and, and the fun is just it's just so much fun but it was just to feel that power and the same with strength training when you get a lift right or you know you go up a weight or whatever it is you, you finally master the exercise I just you get that feeling of strength and power that I think um I haven't had for a lot of my life and, and it's not about the weight being lifted it's just that feeling of oh that's something I can do now that's this a new thing that I've, I've been able to do that um yeah I just love that feeling (laughs) it is an absolutely amazing feeling strength strength training and I'm I know you've heard me say this (laughs) many people have heard me say this that strength training really does change your life it brings so much confidence it brings so much empowerment it unlocks all these things inside you that you know, you maybe thought we're there, but weren't really sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And the fun thing too about it is that it never stops. You're always getting stronger. You're always improving. You're always learning something new. And that's, and that's, I think one of the biggest benefits besides the health benefits, of course. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. definitely. I think that moment when it all comes together and it just it works and you're you just you're doing something new or you're lifting something heavier or whatever it is and it just it all comes together and it just works you're just like I just did that that just happened and it's just the best moment it just I just think it's that high you can never quite get rid of (laughs) yeah that high it's so and then you just want more and more of it yeah (laughs) yeah how 
how do you define disability, you know, as a person with a disability, as a personal trainer, and, and maybe having some insights that uh, you could share with us about, about disability and, and what that means? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a million dollar question. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's an interesting one to answer. It's going to vary depending on who you speak to. But when, when you look at disability, I don't know if you're aware, but there are different models of disability, and they affect how you define disability. So um, the two stark examples of definition that I think show the clearest because there are several different models but the two that show the difference is you've got the medical model which is where the disability is purely the condition um, that the person has um, and that how that affects them biologically and, and that model really makes it that they need to be cured or treated and the, the doctor is the expert and everything they say is correct and we must do everything that they they say and it's very much yeah that it's this 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 physical or this biological difference that is the problem and it is very much considered a problem um whereas the other uh, sort of another end or an alternative um thought process of it is the social model of disability which is one that I personally prescribe to and the one that a lot of I know disability activists and advocates encourage the use of is uh, the social model of disability which looks at barriers within within our world within our society and it is very much society um, as a barrier envi environmental barriers as an attitudinal barriers and how that actually impacts the person who has a disability and actually maybe it's not not necessarily the physical the, the the condition that the person has that is the disability but it's actually the inaccessibility in the world that's actually the disability that's that's the reason the person can't do something that that's the reason the person can't go to the shop because the door isn't accessible and they can't get in it's not their disability hasn't stopped them the door that's at the shop front has stopped them <laughs> and it's um that's very much the the model that i i i certainly relate to um is that that's what actually in my life has been the biggest thing is the societal societal yeah attitudes and stereotypes to the disability rather than the disability in itself obviously we still have to consider the 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 you know the disability in itself you know there's all there's lots of elements to that you know there's pain and and energy and and you know lots of different aspects of a disability of course and a condition that you should, should consider but it's giving the power back to the individual and saying that actually they're also the expert. Like, why is only this doctor who, okay, has a qualification, but how much do they, they don't necessarily know my personal experience or someone's personal experience to, to life. And actually it's a, it, they, they're also valuable in what they can contribute to the conversation and, and, and treatment plan or whatever it is. <laughs> That, that makes so much sense. And, and what I'm hearing is that when you have, when you define disability by the medical condition only, it's very limiting. You're not looking at the whole picture and yeah. you're absolutely right. You know your body better than anyone else does. Even a medical expert, you know what living life is day to day for you. And I think that that we are all doing a disservice 
by not looking at the holistic approach, right? Like we have to consider everything so that we can optimize your daily life and, yes. and not create these barriers, not have these stereotypes. So I, I think, thank you for, for sharing that because um, I, I'm not sure that many people are looking at it that way, right? Because we've all in our educations, you know, growing up, you know, that's kind of how I was taught. If you have a disability, it's the medical condition and yeah. not, Hey, why don't we look at the person as an individual and how are they living their life day to day? And what do they have to say about it? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's looking at, yes. Okay. The medical condition obviously has its own uh, makes life maybe different or difficult or challenging uh, you know no no I don't think anyone would argue that but there's also saying well if you're only focusing on that and there's also another model which is the charity model which very much then goes very uh, it's all about pity and oh it's so sad and it's such a tragedy and it's like that doesn't help anyone <laughs> and actually if we go okay that's that that's that person or that's that condition and this is how this might affect someone's mobility or or various different things my mental health you know that's how it might help uh, might how it might affect them then okay what can we do in society to change to change that so that's not such a an issue or a barrier anymore and then then that's that's actually that's helped and therefore the disability isn't 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 you know the medical condition then as the disability hasn't been a problem <laughs> so. You and I had um, a conversation um, yesterday about terminology. Yep. And I think for myself, and I'm sure many others out there, we, we want to be aware. We want to be sensitive. We don't want to throw words out there that um, might be upsetting or offensive or really not make sense in showing our own ignorance because we haven't educated ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about able-bodied and also could be um, referred to as non-disabled yes. and you prefer non-disabled. So mm -hmm. why, you know, why is that? Is it wrong to say able-bodied? Why is your preference non-disabled? So yes, uh, I think first of all it's not wrong to say able-bodied and you're not going to you you're unlikely to offend someone by using it um it's not an offensive term but it's the difference between able-bodied and non-disabled when referring to someone that doesn't have a disability is that able-bodied very much emphasizes a physical disability you're saying the body is able and therefore that's a physical disability and disability isn't always physical it could be a mental or learning disability and therefore you've excluded all those people that have a different type of disability and so that's where I try to use non-disabled where possible because that's a more inclusive term in terms of you, you may find able-bodied is actually a, is actually the more applicable term depending on what you're talking about and it's as, as I said it's not considered wrong at least not not to me or the people that I, I speak to it's not considered wrong as a term at all it's more just being aware that it, it still isn't the most inclusive term you could use. Um, so that's why I tried to use non-disabled where 
where possible. But I do want to pick up on what you said about terminology and people being really um, worried about the terms they use, which is understandable. Um, and obviously, we always want to make sure we're not <laughs> offending anyone or or using really out of date terminology. But I think also you can always just ask someone if you if you're not sure if the term you're using is is okay. I think if you're if you're aware that you're not sure, then just asking that this is the term I, I was taught to use or that I, I hear used, is this correct? Um, or is this okay with you? And then the person will be able to, to, to react to that on their level because there is differences within the, the disabled community as to what people prefer or don't prefer. There's an argument for person first language versus identity first language. Um, and that's where you have the traditional, um, thought or the, diff the uh, traditional sort of um, standard was always to put the person first over the disability. So you'd say a, uh, a person with a disability. So in my case, we Taya with cerebral palsy or uh, Taya with a disability. So it'd be me before the disability. The big argument was seeing the, per the, the person in question as a person and not the disability. And there's some very valid points to that. But the other side of it is identity first language, which is where you say a disabled person, um, and that's that's a that is a conversation within the community that not everyone agrees on. But there does seem to be a shift to the identity first language because people are identifying as disabled, and there and, and I I do personally myself. And the argument I have and others I know have as well is that if you try and hide the disabled bit, you're saying that it's um that it's something to be ashamed of. And I always argue that if you have someone that's tall, you would say a tall person. You wouldn't say a person with a tall stature, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and because it's considered a neutral, a neutral term. No one's worried about saying tall. So they say tall. And the argument in, in my view is that disabled should follow the same same idea. It's a neutral term. We're not saying it's bad. Um, by being it just saying that's that that's this that's the person that's how you're describing that person in that scenario so there's also there's a whole big conversation about language and but yeah the short answer is always just ask if you're not if you're not sure <laughs> thank you uh for for sharing sharing that with us it's it's important information and and i I wasn't aware of that conversation going on in the community. And I think it's great because it goes back to something you were saying earlier about the empowerment of the person and right. And, and the, the independence and the, also the looking at the individual and empowering the individual yeah. And being inclusive of, of everyone. So I'm really glad that conversation is, is happening. And that leads nicely into um, wanting to ask you specifically, you know, as a personal trainer and, and as Taya, how, mm -hmm. you, how you want to be identified. And you, you had started to, to talk about that and, um, you know, some, some athletes do want to be considered, um, a disabled athlete. They want mm -hmm. that identity first yep. and, and others don't. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you, you've shed some light on where, 
you fall in that spectrum, but could you kind of expand upon that both professionally as a trainer and then, you know, in Taya's personal life? <laughs> yes, I think, uh, yes, I sort of already shared my view on where I feel in terms of identity, I'm happy to say I'm a disabled person and I'm, and that's been a long process. And I think that's probably something to be aware of is there's a, there can be a long process when you have a disability, especially if it's maybe newly acquired. I mean, I've had mine my entire life, but especially if someone's newly acquired a disability, there's, there's a very long process of coming to terms with that and understanding that and, and, and forming your identity. And that's why the community varies so greatly because you've got people at so many different points in, in their life and, and, and learning about their disability. Um, but yes, but I, and it's taken me a long time. It took me years to be able to say that I was disabled and that I'm a disabled person and be a lot more, ad, sort of a lot more accepting of it because of, because of the way society has sadly treated disabled people, <laughs> it, it makes it harder to, to, to be more, to be proud of it, I suppose. Um, on a professional level, um, I think I would love to say that it would be unnecessary. I'd love to live in a world where it would be unnecessary to identify me as a disabled trainer. I would love that to just not be even a thing that's, that's even mentioned because it's so normal and it's not a thing that anyone notices. Unfortunately, <laughs> that is not the world in which we live in. And, um, and therefore I would be quite, I, I am quite proud and quite happy to, to be referred to as a disabled trainer um, and be identified in that way that maybe makes me stand out for it in a, in a way that you wouldn't, that, that maybe other people wouldn't want or, or something. But for me, I'm, I'm happy because then it would show that there's there are people in that there are people who are disabled in the industry, and I think where there's an industry where that is so limited, I'd rather shout about it <laughs> and be like, "Hello, I'm here," <laughs> and welcome other people. Come on, everyone else in. <laughs> um, so that's where I stand, and yeah, personally, yes. So it's, it's yeah, I'm I'm much more. Uh, yeah, loud about it, I suppose, advocating for it. Still, still still learning still still coming to terms on what I like or don't like but yeah much more happy to discuss it as I am here <laughs> thank you so as far as clients go Taya um who do you want your clients to be do you do you have an ideal client in mind <laughs> um what would be the dream client no <laughs> um I, I don't um not exactly so I have become a personal trainer one of the reasons is to train with disabled people because I do think there are not many trainers out there that do or that promote that or or encourage that so I definitely that's the main reason I'm going into the industry is to be able to train with people uh, who are disabled or but also people that generally generally feel excluded from the fitness industry because we know it's an inter intimidating place for a lot of people. Um, and so I, I, I would like to work with those people that maybe for whatever reason, they just don't feel like they fit in and they feel nervous in a gym and they, they, they feel judged or they don't feel like exercises for them. And those are the people that I would like to work with and, and sort of share my love for, for exercise and strength training particularly, but 
equally whatever they would like to work on and sort of and have that those people I think and also anyone that you know that you know is a good person that wants to train and that we have a good time within a good rapport then that's that's the main thing but yeah I think that's my it's not specific to, to, to disability but it's people yeah generally who feel that the fitness industry hasn't really included them in the past which as we know there are many people that can feel that way for a variety of reasons that is very true and prior guests uh on my podcast have shared their their own uncomfortable situations which all vary greatly but i think myself included it it can be a very very intimidating environment and there are many barriers keeping a lot of people away from joining a gym or, or getting into a specific sport, learning a specific sport. And so what, what are some of the barriers that you have personally experienced as a disabled person and, and what, how are you going to incorporate that, you know, into your, your job as a personal trainer and, and how will you break down some of those barriers? I think, um, I mean, the barriers will, will be really variable depending on the person. So I, I don't, I think I worry that I won't be able to, to cater to everyone, but then also my key advice from the other way is, is, just to listen to the person and I think that was one of the biggest barriers I found was that there weren't staff at a gym or trainers that that really understood my perspective and I I don't know what it's like in America um, but for example here in the UK this is a very big generalization to be clear very big generalization but there was a feeling that when I would go into a gym and you'd see the trainers and, and the people that worked as instructors and in, in, you know, in the gym. And I would realize that a lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of these people had gone to school and been the people that were good at sport. And, and then maybe had decided to become a personal trainer or, or something along those lines, because they like sport and they're good at it and they enjoy it and everything else. No, no problem with that in the slightest, but then, if you're someone that's always been good at sport and the doors have always been open to come into sport, how do you understand when someone doesn't have that experience at all? And that's how I felt when I spoke to trainers, there were certain people that, I mean, they were genuinely baffled when I wouldn't be able to do an exercise and they just didn't. And there's an element of not, you know, you know, not, you know, it not being in your training or or something like that. And that's fine. But to be genuinely baffled and come out with some very, you know not appropriate phrases that you you just thought why how are you working in this industry and helping people if you can't if you can't empathize with someone who has a very different experience to you that's not just here you go here's this exercise off you off you go and oh you you can't do that oh that's that's interesting (laughs) like don't know what to do now (laughs) and that was very much how I, I felt a lot of the time was people were just really struggled with the idea of, of of me not being able to do a certain exercise or lots of exercises or generally finding things difficult or just being really nervous to do something because my brain if I try and do something new my brain is like 
freaking out like what are we doing and <laughs> we're gonna fall over my brain is preconditioned to think we're gonna fall over at every opportunity so that's what it thinks <laughs> so um so it's always worrying about being safe and so the biggest thing I have to do is trust the, my my trainer and I want the person that I train with to trust me even if I don't always know every answer to everything in that moment I want to be able to say right okay no problem we will try something different and, and and we'll work together and we'll find the solution and not have that blank face of just like, well, I don't know, why are you here? <laughs> Which, yeah. I love it. I love it. I think anyone that gets the opportunity to work with you um, will will have a really fun time and <laughs> <laughs> will successfully reach their goals. I love your passion and I, I've loved watching your, um, your fitness journey and just your growth and getting stronger. And, and it's, it's really cool, which, which makes me think about a post that you, you put out, I think quite, quite some time ago, maybe. Um, and you, I think you've shared, um, uh, re, you know, share, reposted other, other people's, uh, posts about this as well on your Instagram. And that's the term, you know, inspirational where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see, you see a disabled athlete or, you know, some, somebody with a disability doing something that we naively think, um, they couldn't do. And so everyone's first thought is, oh, they're so inspirational. And that doesn't always (laughs) sit so well with a person who is disabled. Um, So, so what, what, where do you fall, you know, on that? How, if, if you hear that um, and, and, you know, I, you've talked about it in the past, but but I, I want to hear some more. I want the audience, our listeners to hear more about that. Yeah. So it, it's definitely an interesting topic. Um, and if someone says to me that I'm inspiring, uh, first of all, I won't be offended. It's, I know it's normally very well-meaning and that so regardless of where that's coming from, I will take it and say thank you. And maybe I'll use it as an opportunity to educate or maybe I won't because it depends on the context um so I don't want suddenly everyone who may have ever said I was inspirational to go oh my god what have I said <laughs> um, but uh, but um I the, the problem with the term which I think is where people don't understand because they think but it's a good thing why is this not a good thing um I'm saying a nice thing to someone is that in using that term you're you're saying you're you're using a disabled person as your as your reason why you should be doing it because if they can do it then why should why am I not doing it and therefore you're using the idea that a disabled person is again a tragedy and all these sad things and that um you're using them as your benchmark for your life you should be doing more than them or at least equivalent and more because well they can do it and they have a disability and therefore they're the lower that you know their life is inferior or 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 it, it creates that feeling and equally that the main problem I personally have with it is that in in um in, in sports specifically but generally in society you have two polar opposites of how disabled people are treated they're either 
the Paralympians, which can be inspiring for lots of reasons that, that that's not, we're not going to deny them that, <laughs> but they, you know, they, you know, the Paralympians that have achieved amazing, amazing things. Um, or you have the pity, the other end of it, very sad, very tragedy, all the other things. And those are the two representations of disability, particularly in the fitness world, but also in the wider world is these, you're either the inspiration or you're the tragedy. And I personally would just like to be a person. <laughs> um, and yes, I do some things that might be considered cool to someone else. Um, and that's great. Um, but it's also thinking about why, why you're inspired by that person. If it's purely because they have a disability, it's thinking about, mm, that's, you know, they, someone who has a disability can do lots of things. Uh, and we've talked about it recently, we've talked about they can have a life where you're out doing all the same things and and that doesn't have to be inspiring <laughs> you know, me cleaning not inspiring <laughs> um, um, well you know only in that I've managed to make myself do it maybe <laughs> and, um, but um yeah and I think that's the difficulty with the conversation is why are you why are you feeling inspired by that person and, and if it's because you think that you should be able to do it just because they can just because they are then that's a that's a problematic viewpoint and it is it's difficult and it's nuanced and there's lots of there's lots of conversations that go with it so it's not that it's immediately offensive but it is being aware of where that immediate thought comes from of they're so inspirational and one of the things I always think of personally is if someone says I'm inspiring to them great but I want to think I want to say why what what am I inspiring you to do if it's to go and lift some weight okay great not really if it's to advocate for people with disabilities to make your gym more accessible well, that's where yeah great thank you very much that's what I'm looking for <laughs> and that's that's what I'm I'm more interested in as to inspire is to go oh actually we need to look at the barriers that people who have disabilities are facing or gyms being more accessible and that's that's my that's my big thing if you can tell me that then great <laughs> I I appreciate that and really appreciate your transparency and honesty around that it, it it's it's helpful um, and I and and again goes back to things you were saying in the beginning that you really have to look at the holistic picture, yeah, and and also look at the individual and what's important to to them, how how are they perceiving things, and and thank you for you know saying just ask if you're not sure, right? Just yeah. ask. It's better. It's better to ask than just say the wrong thing and and never be corrected or never really understand why it's the wrong thing to say. So I I, I appreciate I appreciate your your willingness <laughs> to talk you know to talk about it and I find you incredibly inspiring because of your willingness to to really put that information out there and to advocate for disabled people and to share your own experience and and the the barriers that you've overcome because of because of who you are as a person that that is what is really inspiring to me and and I don't remember exactly how I ended up finding you on Instagram but no. um but that was one of the things that really drew me in was 
this person is not afraid to share her voice. This person is not afraid to educate <laughs> and point things out. <laughs> so so I, I love that about you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you, you work for a nonprofit um, specifically um, for those with disabilities. It's a disability advocate um, group. Where, where can folks find support um, and, and advocates if they're trying, you know, to break down some of these barriers? And, and I know that you live in the UK and, and you can talk specifically about what's available in the UK, but if there are things you're aware of in, in the United States or, or elsewhere, or even internationally, um, you know, where we can point people to? Yeah, I think, um, so for me, my main uh, journey, I think, to advocacy has been through social media and specifically Instagram. And I think my experience of Instagram is so different from from a lot of people is because a lot of people talk about how terrible Instagram is and it's social media is ruining our lives and everything and I have the polar opposite experience <laughs> and I think you do too um you know you connect with lots of people we've connected via Instagram so it's and and I think the people that I know um that are disabled have had a very similar experience to me um in that it's where we've found our community and I think the disabled community online is so strong and so incredibly it's just wonderful. It really, it really is wonderful. It's a tiny, it's a corner of the, of the social media world that is just beautiful. And, and that's where I always sort of point people in the first instance, particularly people who are disabled. If there's someone who's still struggling with that or is struggling with that, then that's fine. Um, but I mean, there are amazing advocates and influencers on on Instagram I mean the first one that comes to mind is uh, an influencer called Nina Tame and she's UK based um, and she talks a lot about the issues we're talking about now not specifically to fitness and um, she's not uh, her content isn't related to fitness but it more her life generally and she discusses a lot of these issues in, in greater depth and very eloquently um, but she's also hilarious and, and, and she's just wonderful to follow and someone like her really is really talks about why being disabled isn't a bad thing and challenging that mentality that it is and so that's a great person to follow and there's lots of others that are in fitness spaces um so there's a lot of uh, I know a lot of UK based PTs um who are who are disabled or maybe uh, or are working with disabled clients so there's um there's an account called adapt to perform and he uh, is a uh, he's a wheelchair user um, and he he's a personal trainer and he's one of the reasons I became a personal trainer because I realized that oh they they do let us in <laughs> we can do it too <laughs> and um, um and yes and he does great content on on training with a disability um and 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 exercises you can do and, and things like that so he's a great one to follow from a fitness perspective in terms of organisations, um, there are there are lots of organisations, and, and now I'm going blank, which is not helpful. Um, but I think you've got, from a fitness perspective, you've got um, account, you've got 
organizations like adaptive fitness and there's one specific to climbing and things where you've got like power climbing um and there's those there's there's a lot of organizations around sport um that that, that help people get into sport and exercise um it depends what you're looking for. Charities be be mindful of, um, or non non uh, non profits. Um, be mindful of them because, as we as I mentioned earlier, there's a whole model around how charities can speak about disabled people. It is changing. It is, but um, you know, depending on how the how the non profit is run, they're gonna um, they could be coming from a non-disabled non perspective, but helping disabled people. And that's where you could, it, it gets a little bit difficult to, to navigate that. Is that coming from the right place? Are they using the right language? Are they really giving the mind, the, the perspective of the person? So I'd say be mindful of using them, but equally there are also some amazing organizations out there that do do amazing work um, in, in advocating for people. I, I know ones that are specific to cerebral palsy, that I've worked with um, that are great, but um, it, you know that I follow or, or, or that I've you know read about. But there, there are lots out there. But I do. It sounds bad, but I do immediately point people to social media, Instagram, follow some hashtags, and you'll find this whole realm <laughs> of people and, and, and organisations and that are talking about these these things and, and how to make places more accessible and fitness more accessible as well. Absolutely. And I've learned about so many of those accounts through through you, uh, because you share a lot of their content. And it's it's really helped me in better, better educating myself around around accessibility and fitness, which is something that is so incredibly important to me. And again, um, follow Taya on Instagram. <laughs> You'll get so much great, valuable information. And that will also lead you to a lot of the other accounts that Taya is mentioning. So Taya, T-E-Y-A underscore in underscore training. Yep. <laughs> so please go ahead and follow her. Let's, um, let's jump into the future of disability and the fitness industry what what are you what are you finding are the biggest challenges that you might face moving forward with your own career you know as a personal trainer what are what are you seeing um i think uh yeah the i think i was i think actually i was more worried about the challenges than now that i'm in it I think you think about them more when you're before you go to take the leap of doing something and then you're in it and actually you figure it out but um there will definitely be a lot of challenges along the way um I think changing the stereotype changing the mindset does help um I think that's a big part of that and and making sure that people are aware that I will work with people beyond just people with disabilities so they're sort of making sure that it does feel inclusive to everyone as as, as my career goal um i think the challenge is just is having those conversations and and being aware of yeah trying to create those conversations in the industry i mean i'm only one person and i would you know i want to have these conversations to share more with other trainers and more with other organizations as to what we can do and I think that's more 
the biggest challenge is going to be stereotypes and yeah, breaking down how people view disability also as a trainer in terms of how I get hired you know people might have a certain idea of of whether I can be a trainer or not which is something I was really concerned about um and that's something I want to yeah break that stereotype that, that just because I may not be able to do the exercise doesn't mean you're not going to do the exercise <laughs> for example um, <laughs> And I, and it's true of every coach, every trainer, the best coaches and the best trainers in the world aren't necessarily star (laughs) athletes in that particular sport. Right. And the best elite athletes can make terrible coaches and trainers. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think it is that out of the box if you're if you're naturally brilliant at something it's very difficult to explain it and if you're not naturally brilliant at it for whatever reason you've got to learn how to explain it (laughs) and teach it and and understand it um and actually yeah that's where you you do have to put a bit more thought into it so yeah I mean so far it's worked for me I I do classes where um there's a lot of exercises they're high intensity classes using a lot of bodyweight exercises that I actually personally can't perform and and I have to then explain them and and sometimes it, it's you know we're, we're sometimes we're still learning on some of them but it's been uh, it's been good fun and it's normally a step by step so I'm like right get into this position okay now go here and now do this right with that okay now do it all again <laughs> and do it one by one and and it's going through that and I think that was my panic was just like I can't demonstrate it physically like I can't be the demo how am I going to do this and and how are people going to view the fact that I can't do it Alternatively, if anyone ever does get in that situation, top piece of advice, find your person that can in any class or activity and go, right, so-and-so, come here, you're going to demonstrate, you know, there's always someone that can if, you, if you're not, if, if it's not possible for you to, for whatever reason. And, and, and trainers can become injured at any time. And then what do you do if you don't know how to do it without demonstrating? Uh, <laughs> so it's worth, uh, worth thinking about. <laughs> that is... That is such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point. And I, I've had, I've had trainers uh, currently and in the past that, you know, have said, watch that person. I want you to to watch their form where they're not demonstrating. The coach themselves is not demonstrating and they are pointing out somebody else in the gym and saying, I want you to watch them. Yeah. And then they walk through all the, you know, the different aspects of the form that they want you to pay attention to, especially yeah. if there's something you need to correct in your own form. Yeah. And that, you know, that, and, and it's always super helpful to see multiple different people yeah. perform the same exercise because everybody's bodies are different. Yeah. And, you know, and we all have different flexibility, different mobility, our limbs are different lengths, you know, so it's going to vary from person to person. Yeah. What, what surprised you the most so far (laughs) in, in, in your, you know, your journey in your own fitness and in becoming a personal trainer? All right, there are two. They're opposite, positive and negative. So I'll go. We'll go positive first. We'll start nice. It'll be good. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, the positive is um, just how supportive everyone has been. I think that really 
surprise me as to how many people, whether it's online, um, social media, I get a lot of messages from people. When I qualified, I had so many messages. I was like in tears for the day because I got these wonderful messages from people um, saying how happy they were that I'd qualified as a trainer. Um, and it was lovely. But also, I mean, I'm a trainer because the gym I work at, um, which is the Fox Den gym, if, if anyone would like to, to go. <laughs> um, but they, uh, the, the trainer there, he, who's my, he's my trainer, uh, Pete, he, I mentioned, oh, maybe I would like to be a trainer. Maybe, I don't know about when it sort of came into my mind and he went with it and he wouldn't let me, that was it. <laughs> there was no going back. <laughs> um, he was like, yes, you have to do this. And then it was, when you become a trainer, when you're qualified and when you do this. And, and now I work there, like he was very upfront in saying he would, he would hire me when I, when I worked, when I qualified and that support is incredible. And, and the gym that I work, the community, it's a great community. As I think you find in your gym, the community makes the biggest difference. Um, and they were so supportive and lovely. And yeah, they've been, they've been one for, I was worried that because I wasn't the gym owner anymore, like, are they going to want to come to class or do the exercise with me? And, yeah they've been they've been great so that sort of support generally something that I thought would be very insignificant to a lot of people has been it's been really lovely the the negative and it's something I don't know if we were going to talk about um I couldn't remember so I don't want to jump ahead of anything but um I my biggest thing that I would like to change because we're talking about the future the biggest thing I would that I I've been surprised at qualifying as a personal trainer and I don't know what it's like uh, in, in the U.S. but the qualification that I did as a, as a trainer um, was a standard standard one followed the standard curriculum that is accredited that's you know the absolute standard and it's done by an organization that is considered one of the best um, so it's no 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 disrespect to them or no shade on them but there was almost nothing on disability and and I mean almost nothing <laughs> I mean there was a line essentially <laughs> that was if you have a disabled client, your options are listen to them which is great advice do listen to your clients um but um or it was refer out if you're not sure and whilst there is element there is an element of truth in that if you're not the right person for someone then then you do need to look at referring but the problem with that is if no trainers across the country in the uk are are, are trained in disability because it's not in their qualification who who they're all referring out no one is going to work with disabled clients because no one's feeling qualified to do it and I was really surprised I knew that trainers needed more qualification in disability I didn't realize to what extent <laughs> that that was a issue and I now do a I've just finished um waiting for final marks but I've just finished a course in training with disabled clients it's run by an organization called HFE um so it's, it's a UK-based one and it's just a module um so you, you have a book it's great you know there's really great resources it's very there are things that I know more of because of my experience and because of my interactions with disabled people. But I think especially if you're someone who really doesn't know where to start or, 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 or know anything about disability, it's a great introduction to, to disability. It goes through the different models of disability and some key key disabilities that um, that you might come across as a trainer. Oh, see, there are so many. Um, but you know, it goes through some of them, so you could you can learn a bit more about them. Cerebral palsy, for example, is one of them, um, and so that that's been really great. But again, I've had to pay additional money to do that course, and it's not it's then that's one of the only ones, or or one of the only ones I found that exist. And how many trainers are spending the money, spending the additional time after they're qualified, doing another course 
uh, which of which there are not many, um, to actually become qualified or to become more understanding of of training with disabled clients. And I think that's the that whole module needs to be in the qualification to be a personal trainer, in my, in my mind, or at least or at least to a certain at least a very basis of it should be, because that was what surprised me the most about the industry. I, I knew that trainers needed to do more and understand more. I didn't realise to what extent they're really not trained on 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 any level of what even to consider just accessibility you know just the very basis of it you know i i was really surprised on that it it's similar in in the us um i have a certification from one of the most respected um academies that organizations that you can get your personal training certification through and very very basic maybe a sentence about working with disabled clients um and and same if you do want to get more specific training you would have to pay for an additional course and and it's they have additional courses for absolutely everything and yeah. that are that's not included you know in that that original course but I agree with you that initial training could be a lot more inclusive and not leave so much unknown. Um, I think everything, the curriculum is, is created around non-disabled people. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's just the problem is just that absolutely not expecting a really in-depth you know, there's only so much a qualification can, can cover in, in one qualification, but I do think a very basis of, you might come across a disabled client. Here are things to consider. <laughs> and at least so someone's not scared, because I think that's the problem. I think experts are scared. They don't know what they can and can't do. They don't, they, as, in, as in from a professional level, they don't know what's the right thing to do. And I think that's that's the problem. But. Yeah, that that that's simple as that. That's the problem. It's the unknown. You know, how, how do I train this person? Are there things I shouldn't be doing? Are there things I should be doing? Yeah. And so that, that fear of the unknown is, you know, it's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what can we do about it? What can I, as a personal trainer, you know, what can gym owners do? What are, you know, what are some initial steps that, that the fitness industry um, can take to do better? Um, I think, I mean, there are lots of very simple things that, that someone or a gym owner can do. Um, first of all, I mentioned social media first uh, before, and I, I do really encourage people to, to find someone on social media, which will then hopefully find a few other people on social media that are disabled that they can follow to get a different perspective. I mean, personally, I follow lots of different people on Instagram because I then get lots of different perspectives of lots of so many different things. And I think that's just such a simple, if you're on social media, if you're not, then fine. But if you're on social media, a follow of, 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 of someone who's disabled um, is such a simple way to gain insight and of just some of these issues. Like we're having this conversation, you know, that's a good step, you know, press follow on a few different social media accounts. It's an easy one. Um, in terms of gyms, there's so much you can do. Uh, so there's a long list but I think it's considering accessibility if you want to if you want to be a more inclusive gym great but think about 
how accessible your gym is on, in the first instance. Um, and one key thing you can do, and this is a general rule for any place, not just a gym, a gym, but anywhere, is put your accessibility um, on your website. So even if, so if you're not accessible, if you're, if you're, if, if there's something that makes your gym not accessible, if you don't have, I mean, I think this is a legal requirement, but if you don't have step-free access, say, <laughs> because otherwise that person may arrange to come down and then can't get in the door. And, you know, that's, a, it's a simple example, but I know lots of my friends who struggle with that in the UK and in lots of places, not gym specifically, but lots of places where they just haven't said, like there's an event and they haven't specified, oh, actually we don't have X, Y, or Z. So that's an, thinking about accessibility from the forefront, obviously lots of legal requirements around that. So it should be that there should be an accessible entrance and an accessible toilet. But a lot of, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, a lot of gyms, the toilet, the, the accessible toilet is then used as a store cupboard. And uh, so the, if someone is using that accessible toilet, they're probably sharing it with, I don't know, brooms and some other stuff in there. And it's not, it's not ideal. Um, not everywhere, I should say, but there's a lot of experiences of that. Um, so considering making sure that the spaces you have that are accessible are actually accessible. And then looking further that at the gym itself, is the layout possible? If someone had a wheelchair, for example, would they be able to move around your gym or is everything packed in? If it is, then be mindful of that. It doesn't, again, it's just something to be really transparent about. The gym that I work at is a very small fitness studio. There is an element that there are certain areas where things are very close together, all there's stuff, there's bits around. And if I was working with someone that's coming to my gym, I would make it very clear of that. I would just have to tell them, this is the situation. And I will do my best to work around that. I will program to make sure that we're not dealing with that. But I have to be upfront and say that because there's not much, the space is only what it is. There's not much I can I can do, but I can be upfront about it and clear on, on, on the situation from my side. Um, so I think that's the transparency of it in terms of, you know, looking at the building, looking at the, the different things that are there. Music levels, that can be a whole thing, depending if the person gets sensory overload, you know, if the music's really high, if people are throwing weights around, again, being mindful of that, if you're encouraging clients to come in um, who might might have different needs. But I think all of it comes down to very simply is listening. It's just asking. It's again asking the person, but even in even on a more general level, listening to different people, as I said social media, or or if you're inviting people in, you're doing an event or something open day, trying to encourage people who may who have disabilities to come and speak to you and what they need and and finding out because you will never be able to cater to everyone, but you can find out the general. The general problems the general what people are finding difficult for them and my, my trainer he the reason I stayed with him for so long and, and I work at his gym is when I told him about cerebral palsy and what I had he did a simple google which is one of the few people who have ever done that in my lifetime is to google what I have so he can come in with a very basic understanding and I'm not saying google is the answer to everything but it's, it gave him a very simple understanding of what I of my condition that I can that he can sort of understand a little bit but he then also said I won't know all the answers but I will do my best to find them and that's exactly the mentality I've taken I can only know my experience and then the stuff I have studied and learned and, and, and listened to from other people and I, I will just ask my clients okay so what do you need this is what I've programmed and this is what's happened for me so far as I've programmed the session and so this is what I've done you know if we change it, we change it, no problem. And if as we go, we see something's not working, something really isn't right. Okay, no, stop that. We're going to move on. And 
or constantly asking how do you feel how is this feeling for you like or and just really being mindful of that and do they need longer to warm up and cool down do they need time in between to to rest longer recovery is a big thing that I struggle with I have to rest my sessions take a lot longer than someone else's because I have to rest a lot longer being mindful of that you know it's just just listening to the person um and trying to find out lots of different experiences to get a general idea but I think it's just yeah talking to that client and being upset I think as we said at the start the medical model comes from the idea that the, the medical person the medical professional is the professional and we said that actually actually the person should be the professional you know, should be the expert or considered that's also in the fitness industry you might have the qualification but that person knows their body way more than 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 a trainer is going to and so listen to them I will be the first person to go Mm-mm, this isn't going to work for me and equally if I if my trainer goes well is are you sure you know he'll say well you've done up until this point what's making this next step not workable and is it in is it that I'm just nervous or is it that oh no no this really isn't going to work I can't move my arm that way okay fine we're going to move on and it's being very um listening to that person when they say Mm -mm, no that doesn't work for me okay that's fine why does it not work for you and understanding what's is it is it that they're just really nervous or is it that there's a reason that they they can't do that or they think they can't do that or whatever and and building up to it and that's been the biggest thing is take them as the expert you can be 20 years experience in the gym but they're the expert in how they move and what they need and just go from there really thank you what i what i'm hearing number one communication yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> You got to have the conversation. You've got yeah. to have the, you have got to ask the questions. Yeah. And, and that communication is going both ways. Each person has a responsibility coming into this relationship, yeah. right? The trainer needs to have full transparency about the environment, the physical environment of the space that the client would be training in. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Explain it. Accessibility. How close are the, is, is the equipment, you know, what, what is the, the, I guess like the, the movement around the space, what is that going to look like? The bathrooms, are the bathrooms accessible? And even things that, that I, I hadn't really thought of the, the lighting, the music, because maybe your client has sensitivities to that that you're unaware of. And then on the client side, their responsibility, right, is to communicate about their condition, communicate about restrictions. Maybe Mm -hmm. they have medical restrictions. And and having that two-way conversation and, and that, and it doesn't, it's not a one-time conversation, right? It, it's continual. It's forever. It's every session you're communicating. Yeah. Yeah, right. definitely. I would say on the point of, and that you are right, um, that the person, in, the, the client in this case, um, does need to be transparent about their, their sort of their condition. There is an element of being aware that some people may not want to, and that's, also, okay, disabled people are very used to being constantly having to disclose their medical history. And it's, I don't think people realize how much that happens. Uh, and and it's just, I mean, I can be stopped on the street to ask why I walk a certain way. And that happens all the time. And, and I know lots of people who have similar experiences. And so you're so used to having 
or to be feeling like you need to give out your medical history. I don't in those circumstances, but um, that and, and doctors your whole life constantly asking constantly loads of you know lots of appointments and as you say it's so there is an element of being aware of why someone may be a bit nervous to share it with you I do think that they as much as they're comfortable with with doing so they should because I I I personally always disclose everything about my condition it's why I've been frustrated in the past because I've always been as upfront as I can be about my condition and then still had someone meet me with very blank faces to what they do (laughs) and um and it's and I give them plenty of notice and plenty of try and give them as much as I can so I I do think there's an element of being up front and obviously from a a legal side of you have to know medically if they're on certain medications and things obviously you have to know those things because that could be dangerous but there is the being mindful of where that person might come from and where that rapport might need to build a bit more and they also may not know it's very they may not know actually how many things that they actually do need in a in a, a fitness environment because if they've not been in one they may not know there are things that I deal with now that I never realized I if you told me what are your biggest um your biggest restrictions to fitness in physically uh, with your disability I would have gone oh strength balance coordination yeah yeah those are my big my big things and actually my biggest thing is energy levels I really struggle to keep the energy levels up and coordination but mentally if I have a deadlift, for example, deadlift's taken me a long time to get to because of all of the parts of the body that have to work in that move, it, it blows my brain. I, I, I get overwhelmed and I, I, I find it really difficult to, to, to complete the exercise because my brain feels like it's going to explode. And, it, <laughs> um, and so actually, that's actually the most exhausting, an exercise like that is the most exhausting move I can do and actually I could be tired after five, even if the weight isn't the most challenging weight for me, because my brain has just had to think about so many things that now my energy is just like, oh, okay, we're done. And that's something I could never have told you at the start because I had no idea that was actually going to be the thing that I struggle with the most. And so someone else equally might tell you, oh yeah, um, you know, like the music, it might be something they hadn't thought of and then actually they find find it is distracting or difficult for them to to work out in you know it's being aware that you'll actually both learn as you go and going oh yeah this doesn't quite work or oh yeah this well this is actually yeah I find this challenging for this reason and it's it's a fun it's a fun journey I recommend working with disabled people it's great fun (laughs) we enjoy it constant constant learning yeah (laughs) and and on on both sides the the client themselves learning as they go about what their body is capable of doing, including their mind. And then for the trainer to really pay attention and, and, and have that level of attention with every session. Yeah. Because things can always change. Yeah. And, and how, how we all feel day-to-day changes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. What, what we were capable of last week, maybe this week, not so capable of that. Yeah. And I think that's, and that varying is what I think people with disabilities know more than anyone is that varying is good day, bad day, good day. And everyone has them, you know, bad night sleep or not eating enough or lots of stress or whatever, lots of things can then contribute to that. And I think, and then also being the, the cheerleader for the person when they're having a bad time, because we know what it feels like to have a bad session and come away going, oh, 
that went really bad. I lifted that last week. Why can't I lift it this week? I'm feeling really deflated. But also being mindful that if someone has a disability, the likelihood is that's going to be that's going to happen a lot. And also they're going to be around people, maybe, for example, strength training, as an example, lifting far heavier than they they can dream of lifting and then are nowhere near lifting it at that point. And so if someone else is saying, oh, this is really bad. Oh, I'm so weak because I can't lift whatever. And they're lifting a fraction of it. It can also feel really really you know you can feel really down about yourself listening to other people have those days so it's being mindful of how that person is going to have a bad everyone will have a bad day but how that they're they're probably going to internalize it more and to go like it doesn't matter you know it's fine everyone has bad days but also not um diminishing it because they're also probably dealing with things that uh, someone who's not disabled may not have had to deal with like pain I mean, I, I get pain in my hands sometimes. So I can be lifting and my fingers are killing. They're, they're in so much pain. It's not the weight itself, but it might be the it might be the way I'm holding something. And so I'm trying to do an exercise that's already challenging. And I'm then also trying to think about my index finger that feels like it's going to break. but <laughs> And it's not. It's, it's not going to break. But it's, you know, and that's something that I, I always think like, oh, when I'd be interesting to know how people who don't have a disability train because someone who does often has to think about pain and energy and and other additional things and that's not to say that other people don't have challenges but it means that trying to constantly be upbeat about coming in can also be really difficult and some people um may not uh may not feel better at the end of a workout and that's something to be aware of when there's this whole whole thing of you'll feel better once you're here and that and lots of people do we I love I love working out I do feel better afterwards but I also know that if I worked out the start of the day I wouldn't be able to get through my working day so personally for me that doesn't work so when everyone's like yeah start your day with a workout if I do that my energy never recovers and I will genuinely be passed out on the sofa (laughs) and that doesn't work very well when I'm working um but and and there are some people that have pain conditions that for whom coming exercising is is going to be potentially a, a painful experience and obviously managing that to make sure it's not and, and walking out what's safe for them but there's an element of it's not always going to be your your experience of it's going to be great or don't worry you're going to improve and it's going to be better because in some instances they're going to have these additional struggles but also just relating because you do know what it feels like to have a bad day and so sharing that and being like, don't worry, X also is having a bad day. And, you know, don't we've all been there and sharing that, oh, you're not on your own. Like, don't worry about it. You know, it's it's okay. It's just, yeah, so many things. So many people have different things. It's, it's what makes it wonderful. <laughs> it does. It really does. And and I really, I love the, the question that you ask in, and your, your trainer has asked you when you don't think you can do something or, you know, you immediately say, no, I can't do that to ask, well, why not? Because, you know, maybe it truly is a physical reason, but maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's (laughs) that the person is not believing that they can. Yeah. And I think that trust that you get with your, with your client is so important. It's important in any relationship, like trust with your client is so important. And I think, you really have to really have that with a disabled client because I trust my trainer so much. But if I didn't, I wouldn't do half of what I did because 
I am putting myself potentially in a dangerous position. As I said, my body is designed to think it's going to fall because I will fall. And so there are certain exercises where I go, Ooh, are we sure? <laughs> and, and it's like, give it a go, see how we go. And, uh, and then sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and we work it out, but it's, yeah, that going, okay. And, and yeah, but initially when I first started, it was, Oh no, Oh no, that's not going to work. Oh no, 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 no. What are you doing? And I was like, give it a try. And I'm like, mm, I really don't think so. And then you'd be like, okay, it does work. Or it works if we do this or, you know, finding the tweak or finding equipment. Other thing to, I should have flagged earlier is equipment. Uh, there are lots of different companies that provide equipment and that can be gripping aids and things like that, that might help the client. For me personally, I have a gripping aid that's from a company called Active Hands and they do so many different types, but that means I can lift weights that before I wouldn't have been able to lift. Like I would never have been able to lift more than maybe three kilos at, at, the, at the start of my strength journey. And now, because this literally straps the weight to my hand, I can lift a lot heavier because it's the grip specifically that's my problem for that in that in certain exercises that then I can carry on and not worry so that's a slight tangent but <laughs> popped into my head um but yeah it's, it's exactly <laughs> it's an it's an important tangent though because that's that's an an adaption that might be yeah. needed to make a lift possible right yeah so so I, I I think especially in this conversation because we're talking about fitness specifically, you know, there may be a need for something like that, a, a grip aid or something else. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's thinking like, oh, this doesn't work. And then, and maybe saying to that client, okay, we'll leave it and we move on. But also questioning them as to why, if, if why they don't think it's worked if they, or if they won't try it, you know, why they won't try it. But if you're looking at going, no, this doesn't, this hasn't worked, we stop. But then taking that away and going, why didn't it work? What was it that I know of about the condition that they've shared and that that hasn't worked? And then taking it away. And for example, a deadlift for me, I couldn't, I physically couldn't deadlift years ago. And there were lots of reasons to that because of, because of lots of things. And that was an exercise that we did try years ago. And my trainer went, "Mm -mm, stop. And was just like, no, this doesn't work. And so we moved on and we did different exercises and we moved away from it. And then as I've got stronger and done different things and come back to it, and then we've still tweaked it a little bit, then we've gone, okay, now it works and we can do it. But because of other, other factors that have come in and it's sort of being aware of if something doesn't work, it's again, don't take it. If you think, Oh no, I should have thought of that. Why I should have thought that that wouldn't have worked. Like don't, don't worry about it because just saying, okay, no, that's, that's fine. We've tried it and we're going to, well, don't worry about it. We'll come back and, you know, we'll, we'll try something. This is a dip to have lots of variations of something in your, in your back pocket um, or something completely different. And just, I think as long as you're not stressed about it, the person's not going to be stressed about it. At least not from my experience of working with people as well. They've been like, okay, we'll do something different. And just sort of, I think, yeah, you, you know, you're learning with them. So just saying, okay, this is what I would, we were going to do, but never mind. But yeah, equally going, okay, why don't you think you could do it if they are, if they're nervous to try it, but also know why they might be nervous. It's not just a being nervous. It is, it is a genuine safety concern in a lot of instances, or it is just a confidence thing. And therefore your job as the trainer in any situation is to, to be like, get the confidence up and work on that. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. 
Um, I like to ask my guests these three questions mm -hmm. and your answers don't necessarily need to be about fitness or disability. Okay. okay. So first question, what would your friends say is your superpower? Ooh, uh, <laughs> um, the one that comes to mind is not a superpower, but it's definitely the one that I would say, which is my ability to underestimate how much time I have in any given, no, overestimate how much time I have in any given situation so that I'm normally late for something because I'm like, yeah, but not time. And then I don't. <laughs> uh, that's probably my, my non-superpower. Um, but otherwise, um, I think it's to just have a laugh with with what's going on. I, I think I try and stay quite, I try to stay quite upbeat and, and quite positive about things. I equally will get angry about things in terms of things I don't think are right in the world. But um, I like to have a joke, even even if things are going wrong. I think, if, if, especially if things are going wrong, I'll have a joke. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the, the key things, yeah. <laughs> I think that I think the combination of that positivity and the ability to to make a joke about something but also not lose sight of that anger to keep like pushing forward and pushing forward for change in the world I I think that's those two together are pretty fantastic superpower <laughs> so I think it's needed I think maybe <laughs> it is needed it is all right next question so if you did not know what your biological physical age was if you were unaware of your actual age yeah how, how old do you think you would be <laughs> i feel like this would vary on a day-to-day -day basis <laughs> um i think i range from 20 to 60 but um i think um how old i think i'm probably older in my mind than I am in reality so I'm 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 31 uh, in reality but I think I feel probably I think I feel like 40s I don't know I feel a bit older just because I feel uh, I don't know I feel sometimes that either maybe not cynical but sometimes I come at something and think I don't know a bit cynical about things but um how about critical thinker? You're a critical, critical thinker. thinker. Yeah, there we go. We go with that. Um, but uh, yeah, also I just I, I haven't got the energy for half the things that people are doing. I'm just like, eh, I'm just gonna stay at home. It's easy. <laughs> so that's out of it too. <laughs> I could, I'd like a dog to curl up with and watch TV. I'm not interested in going out and partying. So <laughs> I think I, I think that's an awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you could invite anyone and they can be alive or dead, and it, you know, if you can't narrow it down to one person, that's okay. Who would you invite to dinner and why? And what would you have to eat? Oh, that's really difficult. I feel like I should, oh, I don't know. Um, well, first off, I should say I am not a good cook so I'd be very nervous to have anyone that I would like to have either alive or dead to come to dinner as someone so important um as I feel like we would probably have to have a takeout or something to make it uh to make it okay uh but we would uh who would I have um 
I feel like I need to say something really important and exciting and I can't think of anyone. But, uh, well, the easy answer is, of course, is you. I would like to have you here have for dinner. That would be nice, wouldn't it? There we go. I That's, love it. That would be good. So uh, that would be my choice. We'll go with that. <laughs> but uh, I'll make you Thank some vegan you. food. But, uh, well, maybe I'll try and make you some vegan food or we'll get somewhere nice out. <laughs> maybe we could just get a whole... I don't know, um, sampling of all of those incredible desserts from your friend that <laughs> makes the vegan pastries. Yes, yeah, that's fine. We could do that. Uh, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> Dessert for dinner. Yeah, I'm always for that. Always. All right, let's do it. <laughs> it has been so awesome um one getting to see you um i know listeners you can't you can't see us because it's just the audio but Tay and i are on zoom together right now and um it's so awesome um to have this technology because you know we we live across a big ocean from each other uh, but it's so great to see you and always so wonderful to talk to you i can't thank you enough um, for everything that you do and all the insight uh, that you've shared with us today, your own personal experience, things um, that you know you you study, things that you've seen um, other people you know experience and share. So uh, we you know we're we're all um, much better off um, you know having this having heard from you and getting all of this incredible information so thank you so much thank you and thank you so much for having me and um it's lovely to talk to you um you're a big part of my fitness journey and seeing how far you've come and, and the things that you share and thank you for opening the doors to having these conversations and to make fitness more accessible it's, it's great i love to see it <laughs> yes accessibility for everyone that's that's what we're working towards yeah yeah <laughs>